What are you drinking? Uh, Clockwork Tangerine. Ooh. Um, I think this week was the week I finally cracked. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I think so. I got my first D. I got my first DIY haircut from Kate. I don't know if you can see. There's like a patch here. Uh huh. Got a little bit too close to the bone. Um, the rest is okay except the back and we're not going to but I, I, I haven't seen it yet <laughs> I, I made a point not to not to do the double mirror thing so can I see uh, it? no oh go on uh, the, I okay, won't tell you so there's like a, apparently it's like yeah yeah sit like forward a, a bit step here no no forward oh there's sorry the other way yeah other forward uh, yeah that's great is, is it? <laughs> slow head shake <laughs> Yeah. No, so, it's great. It's great. It's lovely. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so yeah, I did that. I finally caved and I did that. I also drank um, a bottle of vodka this weekend uh, in terms of in, in Moscow Mules, which I didn't realize. What's <laughs> I a was Moscow Mule? It. Sorry? What's a Moscow Mule? It's um, it's it's vodka, uh, lime juice and ginger beer. Wow. Yeah, nice. So And it's very, very drinkable. Very um, fresh and zesty. Moorish. Yeah, very Moorish. And I drank a whole bottle's worth over the course of the two days. Um, and what else did I do that was like me cracking? Oh, uh, so I started doing... Where is it? Oh, you're not going to like this one a little bit. So um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, the ba- bobblehead you got me for my, uh-huh. birthday, for my birthday that time. You know the way his glasses came off? Yeah. And we were left with like sexy, handsome Teddy. Mm. Well, his sword is after coming off. What? Uh, because I was doing... <laughs> <laughs> this is really embarrassing. I was doing um hold on, let me get my thing. I was doing exercises with this like resistance band. So I got this. You hear that? <laughs> it's like a rubber resistance band. Yeah. That and, doesn't uh, make any noise. I was doing like stretches and I have my headphones on so I can't hear what you're saying. But I had a I was doing like stretches and like this kind of shit, and I, it, I did, I overstretched literally, and it kind of flipped off. It's a giant it, elastic band Teddy. thing. Sorry, headphones that's, back on. And that it was took like a, a cartoonishly large elastic band. For, it, that's exactly yeah, what it is. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, and you went, whoosh, whoosh, and uh, it, it, his sword, I knocked what? him over, and his sword came off. My God, you're destroying the president bit by bit. Um, but yeah. Oh my so god, what's going to happen when you knock his hat off? Is there anything under there, I wonder? Uh, Lord Voldemort. Yeah. That's where he's been hiding. <laughs> That's where he's been hiding. No, so just a bit of a weird fucking week. So you got really drunk. I got you really drunk, playing rubber got a bands, haircut. Yeah. And you tried to assassinate a president. And you know the... <laughs> the worst takedown in, in history. Um, yeah, so not great. How have you been holding up? Grant, yeah, it's fine. Fine. <laughs> None of the above. <laughs> Didn't do any of those things. No. <laughs> oh, shall we podcast? Chin up. Drink more <laughs> beer. It'll be fine. What are you drinking? I'm drinking uh, Hell's Lager from Oval Brewery. It's only a name, though. Yeah. It's more of a square. <laughs> it's fine it's not great what are we doing let me pull up the show notes it's been a while we be podcasting yeah you're genuinely Holy- doing fine you're not cracking at all 
Yeah, I actually had a list of things about how I cracked, but I've forgotten. Maybe a that's of, that's how you, that's how your cracking is manifesting. Yeah, there's a lot of time rolling into itself, and like, of the mm. I put up, yeah, when I put up the sign to say, oh, how how, how I'm recording podcasts. So, oh, again? No, wait, have I? Is life a podcast? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I could have sworn we did this just yesterday, but apparently we didn't. It was two weeks ago. Yeah, we've mm. always been podcasting. We want to plug this up top because we only usually leave it to the end, but um. If you want to help us, one thing that really kind of helps us push through um, this shutdown and keeps us sane is the beer we've been drinking. <laughs> and if you would like to buy us a Your tone of voice help. is like one of those Trocra ads. <laughs> just Charity. One, just one beer. <laughs> Can't help. A hipster <laughs> podcaster. Black and white footage of us. <laughs> Parched lips. Looking, looking through a closed off license or closed pub, hands, 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 hands and faces pressed against the glass. It's not just the drinkers that are going mad. And um, you hear about Dice Bar over the weekend. Hold on. Just before I finish, Ko-Fi, whatonpolitics.com forward slash beer if you want to buy us a, not Ko-Fi, Ko-Fi. Ko-Fi. Anyway, whatonpolitics.com forward slash beer if you want to buy us a pint. Link in the show notes. Get help, get, help us get through this. Sorry, what about Dice Bar? <coughs> Dice Bar, lovely pub in Dublin. Been there a mm. few times. Smithfield, right? Smithfield. Yeah. Uh, the owner or someone with access to the Twitter has been comparing the lockdown to the Holocaust. Yes, I heard about this. But then didn't they release, didn't they, re- didn't someone in management release a statement or something? But it was worse. <laughs> it was worse. It looked like they started off like they were going to c- course correct. Yeah, no, they you didn't. Know. They doubled down. They, they said something about it, got really shit-faced. I think it was the same person releasing two statements. <clears throat> got really shit-faced, watched Downfall and The Pianist. So uh, obviously just thinking about the Holocaust and then... But then started talking about Jewish. Yeah, you know pop what? Music this is this is us. <laughs> this is yeah. the same. This is the same as what? This movie's the same as us. Hold on, go again. Hold on, again. There's a dramatic reenactment of what happened at Dice Bar. Yeah, fuck those people. <laughs> There's a burp Ridiculous. for Donal. Hmm? That was a burp for Donal. Oh yeah, Donald Donal doesn't like it when we burp. <laughs> I, mean, sure I don't everyone, think I, I don't think I'm sure everyone else loves it. <laughs> They're nasty for it. <laughs> Your 400 euro ASMR headphones. Yeah. This is what we give you. Yeah. Uh, so, so we did, we did the, the, the beer plug. We've done the dice bar news. Uh, should we get into the news proper? Well, that was my start of the Irish news. So right. I was trying to think of things that we could talk about in terms of political news. And mm. I don't know if anything's happening. Mm. Maybe it is, but I haven't seen it. I mean, yeah, you look on any reputable news website and it is, you have to struggle to find no COVID news. COVID. I I noticed on Guardian, all of the non-COVID news is relegated to its own little like thumbnail square. (laughs) That's like, they've put a name on it, like, you know, the break or like, you know, take a break from COVID news and, you know, catch up on everything else. Wars, famine, plagues, all the other good stuff. All the other, yeah. That's, it really does suck. I thought Brexit sucked up the the kind of oxygen, both media and political uh, oxygen, but fuck me. COVID-19, whole new levels of, um, of, of saturation. Just goes to show what a load of shite that Brexit thing actually was in terms of what it actually meant for the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it turns out pandemics are where it's at. Pandemics are so hot right now. And on that note, shall we talk about how countries are, have been dealing with their, their respective lockdowns? Yeah. So, in so Ireland, you mentioned you were having some sort of <laughs> rebellion led by um, Dice Bar. How's well, that going? It was actually led by Gemma Doherty and John Waters, two people whose names I shouldn't have mentioned because all they live for is attention. Yep. They're our version of the um, anti-vaxxer people who are like occupying playgrounds in the US and protesting against the government. 
Yeah, professional fuckwits. Yes. One might say. Yes. Although I don't know who's paying them, but yes, professionals. Um, they brought a case against the Irish High Amateur Court. Amateur fuckwits, sorry. To try and challenge the government's right to do this, and it got dismissed. So Ireland is still going through its normal lockdown procedure, which I think is quite strict in comparison to other places. Yeah. We're going into phase two of reopening. Mm. You've got different phases to to us over here in the UK. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, no, you see, the UK, I think, what is it? England are separate, but then the other ones are kind of following what we're doing. Smart phases. Yeah. Well, the UK as a whole has their five phase system, which England is kind of plowing ahead with, with some notable exceptions, which I will get to later on. But yes, the north uh, of Ireland, Scotland and Wales are kind of splintered off and doing their own thing, which looks a lot like what Ireland's doing, more so than what England is doing. In terms of politics, there was a bit of confusion and wondering about what was going to happen between north and south. And quite a few Brexity people were pointing out, oh, look, the Irish have no problem putting checkpoints on the borders when this is going on. Yeah, fuck off. Yeah, it's um, a fucking pandemic. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But... Borders have remained open. People mm. are just being checked as they would anywhere else and anyone else. Mm-hmm. And luckily, most of the two things seem to be in sync. So there shouldn't have to be too much deviation between what we do between people living and working north and south and all that crack. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's all that's going on in Ireland. We still don't have a government yet. No. Well, any any updates on that? When are you getting? Any, how are the Greens doing? They're still thinking about it. Talking They're still about thinking it. about it. Mm-hmm. They're not sure. And uh, I just seen a tweet there with Fine Gael giving out that Fianna Fáil were too mean and it set back the negotiations a bit. <laughs> I mean, don't be mean. Don't don't be mean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't, don't you know do what I mean? that. Don't be mean. <laughs> yeah. So uh, tell, tell us about the UK. The UK. Fuck me, man. <laughs> so around this time last week, Boris made, yeah, Sunday last week. Um, Actually, when does it record? Anyway. At some point, Boris um, made his address from 10 Downing Street about how they were going to ease off the um, lockdown process. And it, fuck me, it was a bit of a shit show in terms of clarity. People mm. were hoping for, for more clarity and direction and there was more questions than answers was the kind of prevailing thought on how it went. So what he's proposing, or what the government's proposing, is this five-phase structure. So five being worst-case scenario, collapse of the NHS, one being the, um, sorry, five phases of like how they're evaluating what's currently happening. And one being, hey, we beat the virus. It's, it's well, I'm confused gone. already. So yeah. the phases, they're, the, what they're referring to as phases are actually like results of things. Yeah, it's more so like how they're evaluating the steps that they'll take. So, you know, the f- fifth five being, like I said, worst case scenario, one big best case scenario. We were apparently in four where NHS is under stress, the virus is spreading, blah, 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 blah. And we, but we are starting to transition towards three where we have more control over it and we can start to slowly kind of reignite parts of the economy and normal society, which, you know, there's a lot of debate around that. So basically where we are on this five point scale, this five point system or phases or whatever will dictate what happens, like what, like what social distancing measures are being enforced, all, all the usual stuff. So like I said, right now we're on like three and a half, maybe. <laughs> And uh, according to, to to 10 Downing Street, that is cause for restarting certain parts of the economy. So his guidance was, so the messaging shifted from something that was very clear and worked very well, which is stay home, protect the NHS, save lives, which is like super easy to follow. Stay in your house. That in turn will protect the NHS and that in turn will save lives. Easy peasy. Now it's um, stay alert, control the virus, save lives. 
So stay alert can mean staying at home unless you can't stay at home which point to work in which point you should talk to your employer and then maybe go back to work but while you're doing that you have to control the virus <laughs> what does that mean wash you know wash, wash your, your hands handies, i guess <laughs> wash your hands um, and then save lives it's just basically it's a very muddled ambiguous message and it's it's starting to have some real strong knock-on effects. I was reading in The Observer some diaries from people who have already gone back to work and how scared they feel and how uncertain they feel about what's going to happen to them and, and what's expected of them. Stuff from like, not just because uh, the, the, the examples that bars kept citing were construction and production and stuff, um, but even things like nannies and you know fast food workers and cleaners and stuff. Like they did like, there's no specific guidance around. So there's like a hypocrisy to it as well. Like you, you are told you can't go leave your household to go to another household to visit your family, say. Yes, a nanny can now go back to work under this new system to someone else's family and work in that house with, with those kids and those parents or elderly people or whatever. You can go into that house and do those things under government instruction, but you can't go to your own family. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's like, there's like, it's it's way, it's getting way more complicated now, and and the government's come under fire and it's gotten heavy criticism, um, for kind of how ambiguous the message is. And like we alluded to earlier, there's like Scotland are kind of going their own way and saying, no, we're not adopting stay alert. We're we're sticking with stay at home. Fucking stay alert. Like, it's not even a, it's not an anything. It's not anything. It's not clear at all. No. Uh, even and even within England, like there's the regional mayors are like were really unhappy. They weren't told that stay alert was going to be the new messaging. Yeah. And that um like under the new guidance, some schools are going to be opening up I on the first of June. But Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland are saying that's probably not going to happen. Mm. And even certain parts of England are like, no, the like in in um Liverpool, uh, coronavirus cases are still um pretty bad and, and on the rise. They're not going to follow the instruction at all. So it's just like a complete utter mess. And I'm living here. <laughs> Knew we shouldn't have talked about COVID. Yeah. Where's my Moscow mule? <laughs> Where's Teddy? I need to punch some more lumps off of him. <laughs> He'd appreciate that and understand that. He would, yeah. Do you want to talk about the US? Not really. <laughs> Let's just say they're not doing great. No. Any specific examples you want to point to? Or just like, are we just gesturing broadly at the United States and going this? That. Yeah. That. Like it's different in different states. So because it's a big federal system, each state gets implemented in different ways. Yeah. So not even talking about the fucking tangerine tyrants, but like California and New York, maybe doing a bit stricter than other places, Washington state, those kind of sensible places you Mm -hmm. might call them. Whereas other states are lifting the lockdowns as quickly as they can to get life back to normal, quote unquote. Lots of people are still getting affected every day. Lots of people are still dying every day. And it's especially bad if you're poor or a minority in the US. Yeah, like four times as bad in certain situations. Yeah. Like it's really horrific. They're not, they're calling it the Black Plague and it's not really a joke. <laughs> yeah. No, it's awful. Man, this is sad. Yeah. So look, keep washing your hands. That's it. Don't touch your face. Stay inside for God's sake if you can. Only go out for essentials, like bottles of vodka, ginger ale. <laughs> That's it. I, yeah. And you might need to do that more than you originally thought. <laughs> Supermarkets mm. are doing great. So I think Sainsbury's had like a 30% increase in revenue. I know a guy that worked for eBay who says it's like uh, every single day is as busy 
as the like Black Friday. No way. Yeah. Do you say what the most popular items are? I didn't want to ask because it, it would just stuff? be sex stuff. It's sex stuff, right? <laughs> Your mind went stuff. there as well. Sex stuff, yeah. Crazy sex stuff. Those like the, all the elastic bands you were whipping out there. Oh yeah, that my sex band. <laughs> it does sound like that, doesn't it? <laughs> this is just me flapping it together. But it is definitely I'm told it's an exercise thing. Yeah, it says core steady on it. Yeah, That's I bet not it does. A sex thing. I bet it does. Anyway, get out of here, man. What are we talking about this week, Steve? We're going to talk about oil. Uh, Have you ever why? seen There Will Be Blood? <laughs> um, that's the milkshake. Milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. The, I was going to say, uh, what's what's that fool's name? Not, uh, don't tell me his name. Irish actor. Kind of Irish actor. Well... We're cla- we claim him as our own. I Fucking Matt Damon spent <laughs> some time in Docky and he's basically Irish now in our eyes. Still there? He's still there, is he? Um, what's that guy's name? Begins with a D. Yeah, de- I keep going to Denzel Washington. <laughs> no, no, Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis, yes. Uh, to answer your question, no, I haven't seen that movie. <laughs> you know the important part. It's got Daniel Day-Lewis and there's something about milkshakes. And I know the- I've seen the milkshake scene. Yeah, I, I, I drink it up, Steve. Just like I'm about to drink up this episode. You've sucked all the energy out of this episode. <laughs> I really have. I'm very bad at it. Uh, so what? A, <laughs> why, why, why? Why that movie? Why this topic? Why now? Well, that movie's about an oil drilling back in the turn of the century, 19th century, the 20th century, and I've been thinking about it a lot as I'm making this. But oil is super important. Yeah, and we haven't really mentioned it so far. Why? I've been talking about other important stuff like Game of Thrones twice and Eurovision three times <laughs> that's true and sex that one time sex that one time love <laughs> yeah love as well two sure discreet did. different episodes by the way I'm sure we did what on pancakes one time I don't remember you know yeah. all the important topics I think we did a, we did a, an episode of like a radio drama set in Prohibition times if I remember correctly that's something we did but anyway we got them out of the way and now we're doing oil now we're doing oil. Now we're doing oil. I completely forgot about our radio drama episode. Mm. Podibition, go back and listen to it if you haven't listened to it. It's kind of all right. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay, so basically everything we're doing in the modern economy relies on energy. Since we gave up tying things to horses and making them walk around in fields or enslaving... Maybe you've no- given that up. <laughs> I said enslaving and you said, oh yeah, you're giving that, you've given Uh-oh. that up. <laughs> Whoops. I'd say we don't force humans or pay humans that much to lift things anymore, apart from specific situations where we haven't figured out how to get machines to do it yet. So mm-hmm. basically it's all machines since the industrial mm-hmm. revolution. And those machines need fuel, need energy. Mm-hmm. Used to used to use water, used to use wind. Now we're using coal and also most importantly, oil. Because oil is at the moment the cheapest, most efficient way to get energy into machines. Right. I'm, I'm with you so far. With me so far. Yeah. What, people, about, what about politics though? See, this is a fucking, this isn't what I'm oil. Well, the episode is what I'm oil, but this podcast isn't what I'm oil. It's politics. Okay, I'm getting to that. There's politics coming to this. Getting to that. So obviously the people who control the oil are going to have a lot of power, a lot of influence, a lot of money. And also yeah. the people who control everything else are going to want to have oil so they can power things. So it's yeah. all tied together. Yeah. The episode's over. That's it. That's pretty straightforward. <laughs> Oil make the world go round. Until it doesn't. Until it, oh God. Yes. Uh, season one cliffhanger. 
<laughs> so I actually, I picked up a nifty little um, line that the Interior Department of the US, for some reason, wrote in a 1968 pamphlet. The, pro- the prodigious use of oil was the identifying feature of modern civilization. Okay. I'm pretty sure I mispronounced prodigious. 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 Yeah, prodigious. No, you, you got it. So this so, is like how, how, this is like the in a post-World War II era, hmm. oil is like the catalyst or literal fuel, <laughs> I guess. The metaphorical. The, and the metaphorical literal. and literal fuel for all of the the societal shifts and comforts. And yeah, it's not just that as well, but even like from a strategic point of view, if you have an army and you want loads of tanks, you're probably going to need some oil to put them put into them to win wars and stuff. Yeah. So it has a comprehensible military strategic use as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, and since the big the big swing in dicks of the 20th century where the United States and the US are, both of mm-hmm. those countries put a lot of effort into controlling oil over the, the oiling up those dicks. Way <laughs> gross. Why, why did I do Why did I do? Come on. You're better than this, Richie. You're better than this. Are we? No. <laughs> Maybe you are, I'm not. So basically, oil fit into the political systems of the world pretty easily. Rich fellows who drilled for it, made buds with the politicians, and then most powerful of the countries that have the oil club together to make sure that they control it as much as they can. Yeah. It's like the cocaine and Scarface. First you get the oil, then, then you, you get, get the power. The, then you get the... And then you get the cocaine. Then you get the... <laughs> with the oil. And the, With the oil. Yeah. Have you taken up cocaine to help you get through the lockdown? <laughs> I think I think I've taken up oil. <laughs> <laughs> so look, it hasn't proved a super great story as well, though, because people have fucked it up quite a few times. It mm. turns out it's a pretty volatile commodity in terms of its price and its availability. And the countries that have a lot of it have tend to be kind of nutty. Right. So that has led to a lot of crack, a lot of crack fun over the last <laughs> That's putting it very lightly. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I got a little nice anecdote, actually. I asked um, Helen Thompson. Cambridge University scholar and also co-host of Talking Politics, which is a great podcast, if she would come on, but she was too busy. But I managed to steal a little analogy that she has. I think she actually put it into a book a couple of years ago as well. Mm -hmm. So I always thought that the 2008 recession was caused by banks fucking up. But she says it wasn't. She says it was actually more to do with the big oil price spike that happened in the middle of the century after the Iraq war. Do you remember right. like when people were watching the price of barrels of oil every single day, it would like be the front page news. Yeah. I think it actually got up to a hundred dollars. Yeah. I think at the moment, even though it's incredibly low, it's down at like $28 now. Yeah. So it's insane. It was mad. It was crazy. It was huge. And the Western economies can't really function with oil that expensive. So to try yeah, and like f- you say, cause it permeates every aspect of everything. Yeah. Yeah. It inflation, the, th- the metric that we use to, see how much cost of living is increasing. That started to spike. So then Mm -hmm. to try and ease that, the governments had to raise interest rates a little bit. And Mm -hmm. that actually ended up tipping into making the mortgages more expensive. And then that ended up causing people to default on their subprime mortgages. Fuck. Which then caused the 2008 (gasps) collapse. It's a big recession. And then afterwards... It was the Illuminati. was you're squinting really hard is the sun in your eyes the sun is so bright Steve (laughs) hold on take a break I'm gonna close this line and I'm gonna there we go yeah I know it made it look like I was concentrating really hard on on what you were saying rest assured that wasn't the case or about to swing for me because you disagreed with them so much (laughs) Yeah. Mm, my precious oil. <laughs> that, that's Daniel Day Lewis in that movie. Perfect impersonation. 
I'm Daniel Day Lewis. Give me my horns. No, I got, I, I'm Daniel Day Lewis. I go take your horns. <laughs> my milkshake. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, you said the Illuminati caused the housing crisis. That's what you were yes. saying. Yes. So then. The oil Illuminati. After the oil, oil and api, oil and mati. Caused mm-hmm. the the housing crisis. You actually you had the, the the central banks had to slice the interest rates way down to try and boost the economy up a bit a bit again. Mm-hmm. That actually ended up making borrowing very cheap. So companies, oil companies, were able to borrow fuck ton of money to go and exploit harder to get oil in places like um, the deep sea drilling and like mm-hmm. shale oil and all those kind of bits that weren't really accessible beforehand. Is this is this where fracking comes in? This is that's part of where fracking comes in, yeah. But okay. then that ended up making oil incredibly cheap, which it has remained since then. Right. So it's all linked together. It's all connected. All it's connected. One big cycle. So Richie, I asked you to help out with the research by figuring out how to explain to people what exactly is oil chemically. Like biologically. Okay, like where it came from. Where it came from. What is it? Right. Okay. So do you want do you want the reason that's in the, your precious textbooks or do you want the real shit? Whichever one you want to give us. I'm going to give you the real shit. So to put it simply, uh, oil is um, water's evil brother. Uh-huh. Oil is water's evil brother. So way back when, in the before times, um, so God, God created heaven and earth, blah, blah, blah. He made it as soon as he made all the things, all the creatures, great and small. Yeah, yeah. And on the seventh day, he took a rest. Right? History. We can all agree on that. That's science. Fact. Um, and then he was taking a nap. And then halfway through his nap, he went, oh, shit, what? He forgot to, to make liquid. <laughs> Everything was just solid and gas. And he panicked because he had nowhere to put the ducks. He just realized. <laughs> so he very quickly tried to gather up. He was like, oh, shit, what shit do I have left over? And he just had like old... um all of the old dinosaur stuff that he buried for back from when he first tried to make life and he did all the dinosaurs. Oh, that's what that and was. And that didn't work out. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, he yeah. just like, he's just like, he just covered that with dirt and he's like, oh, I'll try using this stuff. And that was oil. And that was just, that just got everywhere and it was a mess. The ducks didn't like it. And so he's like, oh shit, okay. Well, I've got, uh, I've got like a bunch of um, hydrogen and about half as much oxygen. Maybe I can just, say, oh shit. And then he got water. It's like, oh, this is way better. And so then he just buried all the oil to kind of like cover it up because mm. he wasn't happy with how it went. And so he, that's why we have water everywhere. And he just buried the oil. Like, no, they just, let's just forget about it. He was probably and like, then, nobody's going to be stupid enough to try and dig that up again. Exactly. It's way, it's well, well underground. It's near Satan. If you it's keep gross. going, you'll just reach him and he'll, he'll protect it. Uh, um, but we found it, Steve. We fucking found it. And that's how, that's why we're in the situation we're in now. What's the so. textbook version? Uh, just chemicals and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you hadn't actually written it down. It's <laughs> <laughs> so chemicals and shit. That's what it is. Yeah. It's all dinosaur juice. All right. So my bullshit aside, how does oil actually affect the countries in which it's produced? So those countries that live upon the dinosaur goop bones have it, but then... It's not always a good thing, even though basically when you dig up oil, you're basically digging up piles of money and gold quite often. Yeah, in my head, it's like you have a pickaxe, you hit the ground, oil shoots out, and there's like a prospector jumping up and down. Yeah, not prospector, yeah, but like yeah. a, a Texan firing two guns. Yeah. Yeah. Milkshake! Yeah, then like the, that famous hit movie, Milkshake. Uh, it is kind of like that, but there is also backfires. So there's 
a, something that I thought was kind of easy to explain, but like with most things, when you learn about it more, it actually becomes more complicated and hard to explain. But mm-hmm. there is a thing called Dutch disease. So the Dutch discovered a big pile of gas around their country and they started exploiting it to make to try and make loads of money, to be super happy. But mm-hmm. it actually ended up slowing the economy down because people started spending too much time and energy concentrating on gas production and totally ignored all of the other manufacturing and services, oh. which actually led to a recession then when gas gas prices went down because these things are commodities and commodities are very volatile in nature. Sure. So they kind of came up with this idea of being the Dutch disease that getting oil is not always a good thing. Getting these resources is not always a good thing. And there's other things as well linked that make- It's like if you win the lotto apropos of nothing and it ruins you as a human being. Yeah, but I don't believe- I, I'd, I would like to run through that test myself to figure out if it is true. I'm sure we can arrange that. Thanks. Good. Yeah. So we'll talk about the few countries that have had it, the ones that have done it badly-ish, sure. the ones that are mm-hmm. done it relatively well, and the ones that are doing it quite well. Okay. I would say the ones that are doing it badly are the Russians. Okay. So <laughs> pesky Russians. Pesky Russians. How are they doing it badly? What's the criteria you're defining? Badly like being bad. it's not benefiting anybody that lives there apart from a handful. And even them, they're not really setting it up for themselves that well. So right. Russia's oil is essentially controlled by Putin and his cronies. They, ba- they basically created like a petroleum gang. They're digging it up. They're selling it as they can. They're pocketing as much as they can. None of the money is getting redistributed into the economy in terms of welfare or or general well, well-being of the people. And a lot of the money is just being hoarded in Swiss bank accounts by these Russians who are friends with Putin. Right. It is not working out well because anytime the oil prices slump, which they have done lately, it means that the Russians are under stress and strain and whatever bits of the economy that they do have reliant on oil are not doing well. Okay. So Russians not doing well. Not doing well. Doing okay. kind of well. Saudi Arabia. Okay. Saudi Arabia was basically one of the poorest countries in the world before oil was discovered mm-hmm. um, around the turn of the century. But people started figuring out that there was an awful lot of it there and it was pretty handy to get to. So I think it was the British and then the Americans did deals with the Saudi family, royal family, and took over the land, mm-hmm. started digging it, and made a fuck ton of money. They are quite a wealthy nation. Okay. They have pumped trillions and trillions out of the ground, put it into their own pockets. But also, if you're a Saudi national, you're you're quite poor-ish, depending on how royal you are, but you're also not as well as poor as other countries around. So they have done it relatively well. The only problem is that they do still tend to only be entirely about oil. It's hard to get jobs not in the oil industry. They don't really pump that much into other things. They spend most of the time digging up oil or concentrating on Islam. Yeah, I I think it's oil and to a much, much, much lesser extent tourism so that they can put out the image of not being just all about oil. Yeah, and even the tourism that's linked is linked to Islam because uh, Mecca and all those those kind of sure. holy sites are there. So a lot of Muslims travel there to go. And they do make sure. a good bit of money off that. But yes, still, yeah. depending on these two And they things. also have no income tax, I believe. I, I Quite a few of the... I had an office over there and it was a very enviable yeah. position because you didn't have to pay income tax. Yeah, there's quite a lot of the... Um, Quite a lot of those those Gulf states that are heavily reliant on fossil fuel industries don't charge income tax, which is pretty sweet if you're a Western worker making a fuck ton of money drilling stuff or building stuff because then you're mm. making all this cash in hand, whereas us suckers have to pay our income tax. But then in exchange for that, you have We're things. happy to pay our income tax before people get mad at us. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to pay happy. my tax. Yeah, anyway, but we do get benefits. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, they don't, but they, they're starting to see the, the writing on the wall. 
that the world is starting to move away from burning stuff to power its economy. So they've mm-hmm. actually started to pump a lot of their money into renewable research. Okay. And they want to kind of set themselves up potentially as being a place where renewables could be fostered. We'll see. Yeah. I'd say Not- you could stick an awful lot of um, solar panels on that desert. That's it. Got a lot of desert. Uh, what about somewhere like Norway? Yes, they do it well. Okay. So they would have discovered oil and gas around the same time as the Dutch. Um, there was a bit of a similar situation where the economy went up and down depending on the oil. Mm-hmm. But they decided to concentrate on other things. So they did have a very prosperous oil industry, still do. Um, it's quite a good living if you can if you can get a job in it over there. But they, they take all the profits that they get from it and they put it into what's called a sovereign wealth fund. So it's a big pile of money owned and managed by this by the state, by the government. And they use it to reinvest in different industries and different things, just like any other kind of stock market entity. Okay. And they're kind of keeping it there on the side as basically their pension. It's Norway's sure. pension. So they're simultaneously avoiding the problems with Dutch disease where they're not like they're not ignoring on other industries yeah. and they're also avoiding the Russian thing of centralizing all of that. In a handful of people's yeah. money. Yeah. And not only that. That sounds smart. But they're also making sure that the hedge fund is not investing in fossil fuels. They want to... They want, <laughs> the snake eating its own tail. Pretty much, yeah. So they're like, um, invest, yeah. they, they actually don't invest in coal anymore. I think they're moving away from investing in the oil-based industries, which is a huge irony, but sure, look. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, what about everyone's favorite, the USA? The USA is the world's largest oil producer and was only just overtaken as its uh, as the largest consumer. China have recently overtaken it, but they do make a fuck ton of oil on their own. It's mm-hmm. largely concentrated in a handful of states, Texas, Louisiana, um, California, and Alaska. Yeah. But they do have weird things where like you can be a self-employed oil man who makes about $60,000 a year driving around to his little rigs, tinkering them yourselves, pumping the, the oil and selling it on. So that that is like a small localized industry in a few places, which doesn't really exist elsewhere. Right. Um, their most important impact in this story of oil, though, is in terms of how they've sent their power abroad to try and control everyone else's oil. Sure. So we'll talk about that a bit later. Yeah, with our guest. Yeah. We got a Spoilers, we got a guest. We got a guest. Who owns the oil? Is it is it the, the country that finds it? Is it a corporation who digs it up? Like, how do you define who owns it? It's different in each country. Um, sure. So, like, what would happen if your ma found oil under the chicken coop out in Kildare? Let's go back to the Mammy Nolan example, as we have often done in the past. Yeah. In Ireland, so, we have a differentiation between land property and mineral property. Right. So, we specify that you do own the land on top, but if you discover shit underneath, you don't own that. The, the states, so, the government own that. So, Mammy Nolan is um, moving the chicken coop. She's hammering in the stakes for the chicken wire. And she strikes oil. That's not my mean. I'm not getting that. I'm not seeing any of that. No. The Nolan clan aren't benefiting. But in a weird way, not a weird way, but like a relatively understandable way, the land itself does become valuable because to get that oil, you have to go in through the land. Sure. So she will make money off that, but she doesn't actually uh, have a right to the oil underneath the ground. That okay. That's the States. And because Ireland doesn't have any big domestic um, oil producing ca- capabilities of its own, we're going to get another foreign country to come in, dig it up, and then I think we're we're going to charge them twenty five percent tax on whatever oil that they break up dig up, which has okay. happened a few times in offshore drilling and things like that. But apart from that, sure. we're not a big producer. The only country that's different is the United States. In the United States, if you own a piece of land, you own the mineral rights. 
Really? So you will get a slice of the so oil. that's where that rich Texan stereotype comes from. Yep. But because people have realized this, if you're buying and selling land around Texas, you got to make sure you actually still own the deeds to the mineral property rights underneath because quite a lot of the time they've been separated ah. out. So even though you buy a piece of land that might have oil on it, some other fecker from three generations ago might still own, own the mineral rights. Okay. Yeah. Complicated as yet. And so how do you like private companies come into come into this so because it's the private companies that usually end up drilling it so we have a right. handful of corporations that are the biggest in the world you got exxon Mobil, you got shell you got bp when it comes to countries you got M- mammy nolan's little oil drilling co <laughs> that's only like the seventh it's a wholesome family operation seventh biggest in the world <laughs> brute like really fucking brutal business practices when it comes to making cash money Private companies like to have all the control that they can. They want to be the ones that are sitting on top of the oil, drilling it, selling it and, and paying a bit of tax. But ironically, they get, well, not ironically, the system is set up this way. They get to, um, <laughs> they get to, to claim back the, the expenses that they, that, they, that they incur when they're drilling oil. So it usually ends up that they have to drill a whole load before they end up actually paying any tax on it. And Fuck. this has ended up not being great in certain parts of the world, particularly South America, where mm. the countries are quite corrupt, like they were, like we were talking about in Russia. And mm-hmm. they didn't set up their own companies to drill oil because it takes a lot of time, energy, money and resources to do that. So they invited in foreign companies who didn't pay the locals that much, only a handful of super rich dudes, yeah, and then took all the profit for themselves and the locals remain poor, even though there's oil in their country. Yeah. So that led to a lot of political movements who would want to nationalize it. Mm-hmm. I would say... Such as? Such as, I'd say the most famous one is Chavez in Venezuela. Yeah, sure. So a big left-wing movement. He was like, let's use this oil for ourselves. Let's do it. Do you remember the Parks and Rec episode where Nick Kroll... <laughs> yeah, where they have the, yeah, their sister city yeah, was like in Venezuela. Venezuela. And they're all like, yeah. these military men show up and they've got like golden handguns and like just yeah. throw money around. Yeah. It, Chavez. It was like that back in the 2000s. The problem is, is that the corruption didn't really go away. It kind of just switched hands. So the, Chav- right. the Chavistas turned out not to be a great bunch of lads in terms of taking care of the general populace. I mean, sorry, I don't want to say that they didn't do anything. There were there sure. was a good bit of investment put into education and healthcare and welfare and that general thing, but not mm-hmm. as much as there could have been because right. an awful lot of fellas ended up just taking the money for themselves. And then sure. the oil prices collapsed again and now it's not doing so well. So God, it's so upset. fucking volatile. Yeah. So when it comes to the privatization versus nationalization, I would say some places do it well, like maybe Norway. They could be a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, to mm-hmm. a, technically, Russia are doing it well because the Russian state is the one that owns that. The problem is that the Russian state is a pile of shit. Then, <laughs> that is a problem. That is a problem. And then you got Saudi Arabia who try to make sure they take as much of a slice. But Saudi Arabia are kind of a hybrid. They like working with foreign companies as well as their own national industry. Looking forward, what happens if or when we start moving away from using oil? I would say it's going to be a when because right. we will either run. That kind of has to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's that's when you come into this thing called peak oil. Okay. So it's it's complicated in terms of oil is pretty hard to get at the moment. Sure. All the easy oil has mostly been sucked up by lads with straws and spit, <laughs> they spit it into a jar. That's what they've been doing in all it's the deserts of the world. Process. Very easy. So when you say easy oil, just like the, the as the name would suggest, it's it's on a landmass that's easy to get to. It doesn't involve, involve a lot of like deep sea or well, fracking it, or any of the... I have a little explanation as to how complicated it is to get oil out of the deep sea. A deep okay. sea rig is sitting in the middle of a deep ocean with bad weather. 
It's right. sending a drill through 3,000 meters of water, which is three kilometers. Fuck. And then it only has to start drilling. And then it has to go through about 5,000 meters of rock before it gets to the oil. And then even when it gets to that oil, it's not easy oil. It's hard oil or heavy oil or sands oil, which causes a lot of mm. technical problems. So sure. it takes a lot of time and energy and money. So imagine like a ship out on a rough ocean just anchored there. Now imagine that ship having to go down 3,000 meters and then go down again, yep. then start drilling yep. and then try and extract. Yep. That's insane. That's what they're doing out in the deep sea drilling. And that has... That feels, like go, that feels like going to space levels of like complexity. Yeah. I have compared it. It is almost like going, it is just as complicated as what our moon mission was, if not more. Fuck. Okay. So, and yeah. it it can backfire like the um, deep sea oil drilling rig in the um, Gulf of Mexico that time. It mm-hmm. goes around 2009, was it? Deep Mark Water Wahlberg Horizon. was in the movie about it. Yeah. What was the, what was the rig called? Deep something Horizon. Deep Horizon, deep, was it? Deep, deep Horizon. Now that was Mark Wahlberg's porn movie. <laughs> oh God. That was a bad taste. I'll beep that out. That's awful. Keep that in. <laughs> okay. Is what they said in that movie. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we will eventually get to a point where it will not be worthwhile either through political pressure to stop us from fucking overheating the world because I don't, have we explicitly mentioned to people something that they may already know or not that burning we, We've taken as a bit of a given about, yeah, that the, the, all of this oil stuff is super bad for the fucking environment. Super I think that's bad. actually, yeah, we, we take it for granted that it's just kind of intrinsic in the language of this subject that it's bad, it's bad. for the planet. But yes, we should specifically say it. Yes. So there's a lot of pressure around a lot of parts of the world to stop doing it. So that means that people are starting to move away from oil-based magic machinery. We're starting sure. to you know, rely more on windmills, solar panels, tidal energy, mm-hmm. nuclear power, whatever it is, mm-hmm. to try and get away from the fact that we need to burn oil. But then there's the other question as well, but something that I even remember being worried about when I was a kid, because I read it in a book and it freaked me the fuck out. It was like... Quicksand. Quicksand, yeah. Sure. I was worried about quicksand as a kid. I was worried about peak oil. And the idea of peak oil back there was that oil might run out. So like at a certain point, because we're using so much of it, we're going to run out of it. So that... yeah. Sorry, Herc is doing some sort of a walk around. Aww. He realizes that is it's... Okay. Uh, is he also worried about people? <laughs> he's worried about where his dinner is going to come from. Hi, Hercules. Hi, Hercules. Is he okay? He's fine. Just his alarm clock went off. He was sleeping yeah, until now. So like, when it comes to peak oil, there's kind of... I always thought it was just about peak supply. We would run out of it eventually. And what you call peak oil is like the highest amount of oil we're ever going to drill. And anything after that, there will be less oil left in the ground. Yeah. But yeah, that's why I assume. But that's actually not really what people are talking about anymore because we keep on finding new ways to find oil. That that sure. dinosaur gloop that God shot out or whatever it was you said, it's fucking everywhere. Water's evil, evil twin Water's brother. Water's evil twin, twin brother. Um, it's everywhere and we keep on finding new ways to get it because we're that hooked on it. We're fucking sure. addicted to it. So mm. it's not, it's, it's going to be more about peak demand. People are going to st- stop wanting as much oil. I was actually like in research for this episode, I was checking out the, the BP website. They have like an economist dude that puts out videos and stuff and articles. And he's like specifically saying, that's what our problem is going to be. It's mm. going to be that people are going to want less oil. Sure. So when it comes, but that's even in itself is going to be a big problem. Not like it's going to be good for the world. Yes, of course. Of course. Yeah. But it's going to be bad in terms of that there's gajillions of money and jobs tied to this thing. Yeah. And not only that. All of the things we said at the start about what oil fuels and it's knock on effect for everything that is going, going to, to be start, affected by the shift that is going to start shaking things up people are going to be bouncy mm-hmm. there is going to be powers moving mm-hmm. in different places in terms of like specific countries and areas are not going to be as important as they used to be and they may freak the fuck out and start warring over it fuck that'd be fun 
This is what I mean by Water's evil twin brother. So, we mentioned war a few times. Yes, we did. Should we introduce our guest? But, yeah, I guess we should because we're not. We're you and I are. We're we're lovers, not fighters. We we don't like war. The subject of it, studying it, researching it, <laughs> doing our due diligence for that podcast episode we're putting out. Despite the fact my favorite president is a warmonger, but yeah, anyway, sure. I, that did and you love that milkshake me. movie about war. <laughs> war shake. I don't know. I have again. <laughs> haven't seen it so yeah we reached we reached out to an expert who did know something about this his name is christopher yeah. diedrich he's a historian at fordham university in new york city and he mm-hmm. does an awful lot of time thinking and writing about this very specific top- topic do we fight wars for oil i mean not we more specifically not the united I. states do they fight wars yes for oil? not you and i personally well, i mean you do although who's you, yeah you i do war for any time get out i get out that rubber band of mine <laughs> get you anyway Yes. Right, sorry. Here's an interview with Christopher. How's your uh, lockdown setup over there? Uh, it's okay. It's a um, you know we live in Manhattan uh, and it's right. a, a pretty small apartment uh, and we have a ten year old so it's at times challenging. Yeah. Um, just because he's uh, you know ten. Uh, he's a ten year old. Uh, yeah, and you've just stolen his gaming headset so he can't yeah. Fortnite or whatever it is ten year olds do. Yeah, he's a. Uh, um, He's a pretty patient, uh, patient kid for what it's worth. We'll get straight into the interview, I guess, because uh, we don't want to keep you from your son and your dog. And <laughs> oh, you can see him in the back, her. right? I can see him. Yeah, uh, I, 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 was, I have a dog sense for these things. What's his name, by the way? His or her name? His name is Kermit. <laughs> Kermit. Uh, I can see Kermit's tail just in the corner, does yeah. he go wagging? Yeah, he's usually a good dog, um, but sometimes he's the worst dog in the world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Let's just get straight into the interview, then. I guess. Perfect. So, Chris. Is the war for oil a real thing? That's a really interesting question. And I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, Yes, uh, for sure. um, The United States has militarized its Middle East policy in the last 40 years. uh, And that has a lot to do uh, with the fact that uh, Middle Eastern nations are sitting on top of the world's most important oil reserves. Uh, But oil shapes how we think about war. Uh, in the United States, uh, how we think about the Middle East uh, and national security uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, it's not uh, necessarily just a one-to-one correlation. Um, it's not not so simple. So would you think things like um, like general regional instability and maybe the threat of terrorism, things like that, will be a factor as well? I do. I do. I think that uh, it's really interesting to see a shift uh, in the 1970s, uh, around the dialogue of national, the national security of oil that emphasizes instability uh, in the Middle East and the need for the United States to take a stronger role uh, in uh, militating for uh, stability in that, uh, in that region uh, and choosing um, sort of military power over diplomacy. Uh, so I think that, that that does play a big role. In the 1970s, uh, beginning really with the Six-Day War in 1967 and then picking up with the Libyan Revolution uh, and then uh, the British scuttle from the so-called Trucial states uh, east of Suez, you have the United States taking on a bigger role at the same time as you have uh, in the oil marketplace uh, demand uh, increasing much faster than supply supply does. Uh, so that comes together uh, to create by the mid uh, by the mid 1970s. And this in the United States, we think of as the 1973-1974 energy crisis. Um, that comes together to create sort of this cauldron of uncertainty and anxiety um, to which uh, the military solution seems to be, uh, in many policymakers' mind, the best the best solution. So jumping forward, then um, I suppose the most recent 
memory that a lot of people have of what would be considered like people were accusing it of just being a war for oil was the invasion of Iraq in 2003. Um, I think even in the in San Francisco, protesters protested at the Chevron building to try and highlight how they thought it was just blood for oil. I, as, but as you said, there were all sorts of other factors and possibly why the US went to war then. But even if it was for oil, would it have been considered a successful war? Was there an oil-based benefit afterwards? Uh, not not really. I think that uh, if you look at U.S. policy in the 90s uh, into, the two, into the 2000s, um, the militarization of diplomacy in the Middle East uh, has actually done less to create stability uh, than it has done to create instability. This is in the name of sort of global, uh, global economic health, but the sort of the politics of the uh, economic world of oil uh, are never far from, uh, far from policymakers' minds. Uh, and I do think that uh, having such a uh, strong military bootprint uh, in, uh, in the Middle East uh, hasn't helped um, uh, stability in that, in that region. Uh, and it hasn't made oil more, more accessible. You mentioned your Washington Post article, um, persuasion instead of coercion, diplomacy rather than blood will be a wiser option kind of speak of, of the dynamic over there. Do you, is that feasible or was that just kind of like a hopeful note to end the rather heavy article on? Like, is it a pipe dream or do you think it's actually something we could see in our I, lifetime? I, I don't think it's a pipe dream. I think it is, I think it is feasible. Um, I, I do think that we can trust um, the nations uh, that are the sovereign landlords of oil uh, to put that oil on market uh, in, in the way that it needs to be. Uh, they, they also have a stake uh, in the broader industrial industrial economy, I think about um, their investments, uh, for uh, for example. So, uh, I do think that there needs to be uh, more trust, uh, uh, and that um, military power moves against uh, moves against that sort of uh, that sort of trust. Which is interesting because a lot of the rationale for military power uh, has as much to do with political economy um, as it does to do with credibility. Uh, if you think about uh, the dialogue in the United States in the 1970s uh, on the tail end of Watergate and uh, and Vietnam, uh, a lot of military power uh, is about restoring America's credibility, uh, right? Restoring credibility uh, with allies, whether it's through direct um, military action uh, or through arms sales uh, or um, uh, increased aid uh, and uh, and the like. Uh, you see the same thing in 1991 uh, with uh, with Desert Storm. Uh, it's the end of the Cold War, um, and the Bush administration, uh, the Bush one administration, uh, desperately needs to show that the United States um, uh, is willing uh, to act uh, on its allies on its allies' behalf uh, in this vacuum uh, that's uh, that's created. And I do think that this question, uh, this sort of atavistic question of credibility influences decisions uh, quite quite a bit. I think that's, a, that's it, yeah. I think that's it. You're a very succinct <laughs> man, Christopher. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, I wasn't feeling confident enough to actually describe America's interest in blowing people up for for oil, so I was glad that um, we could get someone with certified expertise in coming in to talk yeah, about yeah, no, the intricacies no of problem. it. There's, uh, there's just really interesting... Uh, um, I don't know if you guys listened on... There's a, a, a show here called On the Media uh, that's a national public radio show. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And they had a guy from Colum Columbia named Tim Mitchell a couple weeks ago talking about sort of the creation of the economy and the idea that it's sort of like there are natural market forces and stuff like that. And anytime you see sort of uh, the possibility of a, a war in the Middle East, you have people say, well, the economy is going to work. Everything's going to, uh, uh, going to be just fine. Uh, but at the same time, you have all of these actions taken uh, to really shore up 
the price of oil, is especially. So in 1991, the United States draws on the strategic reserve. Uh, they have like a huge propaganda um, uh, program about the conservation of, of energy. Uh, and they even work to influence the oil futures market, all to sort of create a sense of stability uh, around uh, this moment of in this moment of instability. Do you think then after the war in Iraq that they were not successful in doing that? Because I mean, that was some of the highest oil prices we've ever seen in the, in the late half of the noughties. I, I, I do think that I think also, um, uh, certainly on the conservation, on the conservation side. Uh, so the problem, uh, here, and this is, uh, you know, uh, one of the largest oil-consuming economies, I think the largest until recently was surpassed by China. In the United States, there's no desire uh, really to move to alternative fuels except you know, among uh, a, small, a small portion of the population uh, normally identified with the, uh, with the left. Mm. Uh, and what you have in the United States uh, in the 90s, the same thing happens in the, in the 60s and 70s uh, when instability in the Middle East becomes a, a major issue, uh, is a move towards so-called traditional alternatives. Uh, so using technology uh, in the shale sector, uh, in offshore um, uh, rigs uh, and, and the like, rather than moving towards uh, actual alternatives to carbon, uh, to carbon-based fuel. Uh, so I do think that that needs, there needs to be much more of an emphasis on the green, on the green new deal, um, mm. uh, more than anything else. Culturally, it's fascinating too. Uh, um, in 1991, I was 12 years old, uh, and, uh, I collected, uh, baseball cards, uh, and for a stretch there during desert storm, uh, I spent all of my allowance on desert storm cards, uh, I right. So those, you could, yeah. you could get cards that were, uh, um, published by a group called ProSet uh, uh, that made baseball and football football cards, and um, you know they had a deal with the Pentagon, uh, and they made cards. So Whoa. you could, you know, my friends and I would get together. Uh, this was in Alabama, uh, and we would get together and you know be like, "Could I trade a Dick Cheney for a Scud missile?" Um, <laughs> uh, sort of. Uh, really, in this economy, you're going to do that? Make that kind of deal? Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, just a, maybe, maybe not the best example. Um, but I, had, I, I distinctly remember I had a double of Dick Cheney, right? Uh, 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 nobody wants a double of that. Yeah, so, so no. much, yeah, yeah much less a single. Um, so <laughs> it's a, uh, it, it was. It's really interesting how it sort of works into uh, popular culture. As, so, what as do well. you think if we were looming towards a war with Iran? Do you think they would bring out like a Animal Crossing based? I pro. I mean, I. <laughs> I think it'd be Fortnite. Yeah, yeah, skins. Fortnite. Yeah. I mean, there is Call of There is Call of Duty. Um, Oh shit! That's a, actually yeah. You're right. That's yeah. A whole thing, I was on it? a podcast with a friend of uh, a couple of years ago when the Call of Duty Black Ops one or two came out. I can't remember which one. Uh, and there's a scene there. You know, there's scenes there about the war. In, uh, um, I believe in Panama. Um, uh, so they they sort of delve into history in interesting in interesting ways. But yeah, I do think that you can expect um, you know sort of uh, the the White House and um, the administration and, and different. Uh, uh, different cabinet groups to to really push um, p- to push their agenda uh, in in many different ways. I think that's uh, that's just part of part of governance. We were ending optimistically, mm. but I suppose less so now. That is only the trajectory <laughs> of our show when we talk about big political yeah, issues. I'm going to go play Animal Crossing and just kind of purge <laughs> yeah, my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Watch out for the double Jack Cheney's in Animal Crossing. Yeah, sometimes I ask myself, what's, you know, what's wrong There's with go- me? I, I study this, this heavy stuff, right? Um, uh, but I, I do think it's an, it's important to um, to, uh, yeah. to understand oh, it. Uh, you know, it's just important to be wary when you hear these phrases like the strangulation to use Henry Kissinger's phrase of the global economy or when when they describe certain bodies of water as as lifelines or choke points 
Um, uh, it's important to pull back and just think, uh, to think a little more mm. about what's mm. actually at stake yeah. there. I think that's good. That's good perspective to have. Chris, thank you so much. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. Uh, thank you, Christopher. His dog was very fucking cute. I just need its tail. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, no, I saw a little bit at the start when he was setting up. He, he moved his, his, his webcam and I caught a glimpse and I was trying to be professional. I think you had dropped off the call at this point because um, you had internet issues, but I was walking him through setting up the audio and he moved his laptop and I literally went, oh, hi, doggy. <laughs> so... This man is an adjacent I I professor of American history. <laughs> and one of the first things that you said to him was, Hi, doggy. Oh, hi, doggy. And he had headphones on, so the dog didn't even hear this. So it was <laughs> completely for nothing. And then I had to apologize. And I'm continue walking him through setting up his audio. But I don't regret it. Great dog. Great interview. Thank you to Great man. Yeah. Um, so that's the episode. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned already up top, but the whatonpolitics.com forward slash beer. If you want to buy us a, a quarantine pint, it is appreciated. Ah, oh, Steve, I went to a park today, and just the idea of it made me think about beer gardens. Ah, oh, Richie, pubs, pubs. It made me think about pubs. It was too it sad to mention in the news thing, but potentially might not get pubs in Ireland until October. <sighs> pubs probably open next pints. week in England, though. Yeah, they're probably open now as we speak. Um, I'm recording this from a pub. <laughs> <laughs> they're allowing podcasters in to try and boost. <laughs> Because everybody has started a podcast during quarantine. Everyone started, yeah. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, if you want to buy us a beer, you can go there at uh, One on Politics on Instagram and on Twitter, and One on Politics at Gmail dot com and What on Politics dot com. Thank you to Supermarket Lover the theme music. What else is there, Steve? Is that it? I think that's it. We went through it all. It. Been through it I'm all. Going to blink, think. and it's going to be time to record the next episode. Oh, this man, weird time quarantine time loop. Is. I'm just sc- <laughs> sorry. I've got quiet because I've started scaling your screen up and down, so you're like zooming into me and zooming away and zooming into me and zooming. I've quarantine's broken, me, Steve. <laughs> well, I'm gonna go fucking, I'm gonna fucking Steve's taking it. off his top. <laughs> it's been so long since I've seen your nipples, Steve. <laughs> well, no, yeah, it's nice to know they're still there. Oh no, the other one. No, they've only got one. You didn't notice that? Fuck this quarantine. <laughs> I agree with third one. It's as you you're so stressed about quarantine. It manifests itself as a third secret nipple. Oh, what is this podcast? Let's 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 end. Goodbye, Steve. Bye, Richie. Bye. Say bye, third nipple. Goodbye, Richie. <laughs> I call him bees him up. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.